I'm Aaron Fowler and welcome to another episode of the Disability Sports Podcast. It's been just over a year since we published the first episode and so I just want to begin by saying a massive thank you to all of our guests and for everyone who has listened to the podcast so far um, and has helped the podcast to grow. Over the next year, we will continue to bring you some great interviews and some fantastic guests. My guest this week has played for Great Britain across two different sports. Her first sport was wheelchair basketball, which she competed in for a long period before announcing her retirement in May of this year. A couple of years ago, she took up sledge ice hockey and last year went on to compete for Great Britain at a tournament out in America. My guest this week is Sarah Hope. I really enjoyed speaking to Sarah and she was very open and honest about the many highs and some of the lows of her sporting career. Here is the interview and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Sarah. Um, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Yeah, uh, I'm doing well. Thanks very much. And uh, thank you for having me. No worries. No, thank you for uh, joining us. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing you know, all about your journey and your sporting career. Um, so I just wondered if you could start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Wow, what an open-ended question. <laughs> um, yeah, so I suppose it covered the basics. My name is Sarah Hope. Um, I... Uh, I'm a para-athlete, so uh, I have a lower limb disability, uh, which saw me through uh, wheelchair basketball and most recently para-ice hockey um, is my sporting career. (laughs) And I want to start off then with uh, early life. Um, Where did you grow up and what sports did you play as a child? Uh, So I grew up in West Sussex, not too far away from Brighton. Um, And controversially I wasn't really massively into sport um when I was younger uh I took part in school sports like you do um played netball which was what was available for the girls while the boys went off and played football um but to be honest you know by the time I got to secondary school sport wasn't really a priority for me um I think around that time I possibly struggled with some of the social elements um of sports and you know, to be honest, the the netball team became a bit of a popularity contest. Um, so yeah, sports kind of took a bit of a, a back seat for me, and it wasn't until um, I was maybe nineteen, twenty that um, I actually got into running, um, and that was sort of the first sport that I was really passionate about. And what made you uh, get into running at that age? Uh, I'm not sure. It, there was just something sort of in my brain that said running is what you want to do um and I didn't really know what I was doing and I got a pair of terribly fitting trainers and I just went out one night and and tried it and I got about 30 seconds down the road and I realized how unfit I was um <laughs> but you know I tried it again and tried it again and and I, I fell in love with it and I fell in love with um I suppose the the freedom that it allowed the uh the escapism, um, especially when I went to university and, you know, if I had a lot going on in my head, just that ability to get up and go and just run and get away and clear your head and um, just the sort of sheer accessibility of the of the sport, I suppose. You don't need any fancy equipments except for a pair of shoes. Um, and, yeah, I just I suppose that was the first time I really got sort of into a sport, if if not competitively, just sort of, you know, the sort of thing you want to do multiple times a week. And uh, did you uh, ever do any sort of 10Ks, half marathons, things like that? 
Uh, yeah, I did a few 5Ks, a few 10Ks. Um, uh, I'd actually signed up for a 10-miler when I acquired my disability, so I never actually got to, to do it, um, which was a bit of a shame because I was hoping to go all the way up to marathon distance. But, of course, when you acquire a disability, you don't always know when that's going to happen. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, that kind of, yeah, squash those plans. And I, I think I uh, read that um, I've re I read, uh, you know, actually online that you were a keen runner before, obviously, uh, you know, you were diagnosed with your condition. And I think, am I right, you have uh, peripheral neuropathy, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've got a hereditary form of peripheral neuropathy. So a uh, lovely gift from my mother. Thanks very much for that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so if you don't mind, are you happy just to share a little bit about your condition and sort of how, you know, it affects you day to day? Yeah, sure. So, um to be honest, uh, I don't really understand the ins and outs of it. And I think it's still a condition that uh, is not really well understood. Technically, we come under a rare disease. Um, but as far as I understand it, my intraepidermal nerve fibers, so my sensory nerve fibers, uh, are dying off below the knee, uh, specifically uh, sort of the longest fur. So the furthest away from my body starts my feet and working its way up. Um, so I have altered sensation and... Uh, sort of as a, a product of that I'm quite unstable on my feet I get a lot of pain uh, neuropathic pain um, losing a bit of flexibility around my ankles my knees my hips um, and you know it, it came on quite gradually um, from when I was 24 um, so uh, you know I was walking to start with then onto crutches and and now I use a wheelchair most of the time and uh, how was that period for you, you know, when, uh, sort of, I guess, mentally, you know, adjusting when you first got your diagnosis and then perhaps the few years after where, like you say, you know, sort of physically, you know, things became maybe a little bit more challenging? Um, yeah, I mean, I like to think I adapt quite well. I think the thing for me was that I didn't get a diagnosis for a few years. So it was not knowing um, what it was. Uh, at the time, my mother didn't have a diagnosis either. So we didn't really know sort of what was going on at first I was told it was a running related injury um and then as the months and then years dragged on it was quite apparent this was not a running related injury so for me the hardest part to really wrap my head around um was not knowing what was going on or what to expect or uh, and just sort of that constant struggle of trying to see doctors and consultants and trying to get someone to listen to you and and then, of course, the loss of running, which for me was like my my biggest hobby. It was, you know, my one escape when things got tough and suddenly I couldn't do it anymore. And and normally if I was struggling with, you know, uh, dealing with something like talking to doctors all the time and trying to fight for your case, the, the, the one thing I would do to go and relax would be go for a run, which, you know, that that was sort of taken away at the same time. So it was a frustrating time. Um I think what made it a lot easier for me was that I already knew a guy who was a wheelchair user. Um, and so there was a little bit of, uh, I, I suppose, um, a roadmap for what living with a disability could look like. Um, so it wasn't such a, a scary unknown thing. Once once I had admitted, okay, the, this is going to be a lifelong condition, um, it was almost like, okay, but here's all the things you can do. Uh, so that was that was very helpful. Really? And um, so when did you first uh, get involved with uh, wheelchair basketball? Uh, that was pretty much straight away. As soon as I started um, having problems not being able to run. Um, so, yeah, literally the year after 
um, the the start of my symptoms, I was joining a basketball club. <laughs> um, and it was uh, purely through um, my now husband uh, um, and then a boyfriend who said, oh, yeah, why don't you come along and have a have a go at a session? And he was already part of a club and um, I did. And that's kind of, you know, the start of that, I guess. <laughs> um, so, yeah, 2010 um would have been the start um just kind of very socially amateurly amateurly is that a word I think I've just made that up um, <laughs> <laughs> I would just train you know I was working shifts so I would just train like three times a month maybe a little bit more and just just did it for the enjoyment and for getting back into exercise I guess um but yeah and then it just kind of took off took off after and- that what was it about wheelchair basketball that you, you know, enjoyed that kept you going back to the training sessions? Um, I think to an extent it was like that first thing that I tried where I had that, not the same level of freedom as running, but, you know, I've gone from sort of shuffling around on crutches to being able to move up and down the court with a certain amount of ease again. And that was something that I'd missed, just being able to move around at, at pace. Um and I think also the physical challenge of, okay, this is this is like basketball. This is like something I, I once did at school, but, um, you know, you've got added challenges of I can't just hold the ball and move my feet. I've got to move with my hands and bounce the ball with my hands and do everything else at the same time. And, and I think that just kind of gave me something to focus my energy into. Um, but I think for me, like a lot of things, is once I'd started in the routine of it, I was kind of stuck. Um, uh, and I just kept going back and kept going back. And then as you progress, you enjoy it a bit more and then enjoy it. And then you've, oh, actually, how much further can I get? And I think that sort of competitive nature just came out that a lot of athletes have. <laughs> and uh, which club is it that you started playing for when you first took up the sport? Uh, yeah, started with Coventry, Coventry Wheelchair Basketball Academy. And... Uh, I stayed there for 13 years. Awesome. And um, obviously your, you know, uh, sort of basketball career, you know, uh, progressed from there. Um, so, uh, you know, how and when did you first get invited to sort of, uh, you know, go along and train with the GB squad? Um, yeah, so it was about two years after I started that I was invited to like a development camp. Um, I remember we were all given pink t-shirts because you know women's sport um, <laughs> and uh, and you know the the GB coach was there doing a bit of scouting and he just sort of said you know keep working and and you could probably go quite far in this sport and I just thought oh and that just sort of I suppose sowed the seed of oh okay maybe maybe this is a possibility um, and it was a year later that I was invited to my first GB senior camp. Um, so that would have been 2013. Um, so yeah, wow, 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when did you uh, make your debut for GB? Um, I actually um, left the programme in 2014 just because I was working full-time, um, you know, kind of expected to train every single day and I was also trying to arrange my plan my wedding um and I just knew that I wouldn't be able to commit 
100% and I don't like doing things less than 100%. So I actually left for a year um, and then uh, and then went back in 2015. So my first tournament was actually February of 2017, um, Osaka, Japan. Long way to go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We had a slightly reduced squad just because a few people were taking a break after the Rio Paralympics. Um, but I went over there and was kind of like, you know, in the deep end, I suppose. Um, but it was such a massive learning experience and and so much fun. And uh, and it really, yeah, just paved the way for the rest of the career. And uh, how did you do in that first tournament that you played Oh, in? terribly. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Osaka was an annual tournament we did and it was so far ahead of the rest of the tournament schedule for the year that it, it was kind of a case of just you know testing out your team testing out seeing what a few other countries teams had got and and basically just having a good time um and yeah we were a, a strange ragtag group of people that had been put together <laughs> and we didn't know very much about how to play together and and what to expect and you know, you've gone from just training and playing in front of a, you know, a few dozen people to suddenly have many hundred people and a big stage and international expectations. And yeah, we didn't do particularly well, but let's not let's not dwell on that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, which other uh, you know major tournaments did you go on to to play in, and and what's been the highlight for you? Uh, you know, in a GB shirt. Um. So I suppose sort of the. The biggest tournament I did was World Championships 2018. Um, I felt like we were playing really well as a team. We we came back with a silver medal. Um, that was that was an experience, but probably not my highlight. Even though that was probably you know our highest placing. Um, you know we did. I, I've done Osaka four times now. Um, I've played all over. You know. Um, America and Spain and France, Germany, Czech Republic, sort of, you know, I've I've been around and each tournament has got its own um, you know, pros and cons. And I think you know, there was a little friendly in France, which I absolutely loved. Uh there was no pressure. There was only about four teams there. Um, but that was really sort of beneficial for my game, uh, in terms of um just being able to find my place within the GB team. And uh, what's been your favourite country to play in? Um, oh, probably Japan, to be honest, because they are so well organised. Um, I love things when they run on a schedule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're just, uh, everyone over there is just so polite and everyone's trying to help and um, and everything happens on time and you don't have to stress about being late to things. And yeah, no, it's just a really nice atmosphere. And uh, obviously, twenty twenty one was the Paralympics. Um, how was that experience? Um, oof, yeah. So you know, um, Tokyo was always my goal when I left work in two thousand seventeen in order to do basketball full time. Um, the Tokyo was my main goal, um, and I think personally, if the tournament had gone ahead in 2020 then I would have been this part of the squad that attended yep um and that extra year um 
you know, I think I did a pretty good job of staying fit and ready and focused during lockdown, but, you know, we had a change of coach. Um, other people obviously had the same opportunity to get better. Um, and unfortunately, they they decided to make me a reserve instead of part of the main squad. Um, and that was that was a really tough time for me, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, when that's been your goal for four years. Um you can obviously get sucked into that elite sport bubble, can't you? There's not much else going on in the world except what you're training for. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was tricky. And I think, you know, being told that you're not going to Tokyo on the Friday, but then expected to go and <clears throat> train with the squad on Monday as a reserve and go back and, and carry on doing your job, that, that, was, that was probably one of my hardest times. Um, but you know, we learn, we grow from it. Um, just uh, yeah, just didn't quite go to plan that time. I was gonna say, um, you know, how did you deal with that experience? You know, how, what what were the things that you think that sort of helped you, you know, deal with the disappointment of it and and sort of move on from that? Um, yeah, I mean, I cried a lot. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I was pretty down. Um, you know, I had my support network. You know, there were sort of uh, part of the team that that I'm really good friends with and and they were really supportive, but obviously they had to focus on the fact that they were going to be flying out to Tokyo. So, um, you know, I had my husband who who was really good about it. And also, you know, um, I had a therapist at the time um, and, you know, she doesn't really, uh, didn't really understand sport, um, but she understood how much it meant to me and just having that, um that support especially at a time when people still weren't really mixing because of covid so that was just invaluable and um yeah she uh she got me through a difficult time uh you know thank you for being honest uh you know about that experience i think uh you know it's something that uh unfortunately you know uh, all athletes at some point in their career i'm sure kind of you know go through and um you know obviously those those experiences i'm sure only really make you uh you know better and sort of mentally more prepared to deal with tough tough things you know in the future um in life i guess so um but uh you know it sounds like you've uh dealt with the experience well and uh, obviously you know uh yeah come out the, the stronger person for it i'm sure yes. um and uh in terms of uh your domestic uh wheelchair basketball uh career obviously you mentioned that you played for coventry what's been the yes. highlight of your domestic uh basketball career um so the last well two years ago um British wheelchair basketball decided to launch a, a women's premier league. Um, basketball has always been quite sort of male oriented, I suppose, in the domestic scene. Um, we're very much equal in the, in the international scene, but domestically, you know, there was one uh, league and that was the national league and that was for men and women together. And, um, you know, for someone like me, um, who's quite tall. Uh, so I play more of a center position. Um, that's how I play the women's game. But then when you put me in a, in the men's game, I'm not the tallest one out there. Um, there's going to be a whole lot of other guys who are taller or bigger, stronger than me. And uh, you end up sort of having to play very differently in the men's and women's game. Um, so when they said they were going to make this women's Premier League, I was like, okay, this is, uh, this is going to be interesting. Um, so I played two seasons with Worcester Wolves. Um, 
supposedly a professional league, but I'm going to call it professionalized because okay. we didn't get paid. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, in terms of sort of upping the women's game in this country, it's done so much. Um, I think it's it's really needed in order to just get women involved and then that pathway into the into the international team. Um, and I would probably say that sort of my highlight playing domestically over the last 13 years has just been the last two years with Worcester. Um, sort of coming off that disappointment about not getting selected for Tokyo. Um, you know, I was determined to really make something of the Worcester team, um, knowing that I was going to be retiring from basketball around now, um, which was actually May. Um, so I've been, I was captain of that team and just, yeah, I, I really like expanded as a player, but in directions that I didn't think was possible. Um, you know, not necessarily in raw skill because, you know, it's not going to happen to me, but <laughs> in terms of sort of leadership ability, in terms of sort of game sense and, and understanding other people, I think um, that's done a, a lot for me and that's probably been my biggest enjoyment. And um, have had you had much experience of captaining sides, uh, you know, before um, captain in Worcester or was, or was this sort of the first no. time you've been in that leadership <laughs> role? No, this was first time. Um, so I've made plenty of mistakes, especially in the first year. Um, but the girls were good enough to sort of roll with it. And um, and we figured it out as we went along. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, it, it gave me a different perspective on the game. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, such a massive learning curve. And uh, what are the key skills you think to, uh, that, you, that you need to be a good captain in wheelchair basketball? um oh blimey well if you figure it out can you let me know because <laughs> <laughs> I might be able to put that in if I captain a team again um <laughs> I suppose sort of being organized um sort of having a plan in advance making sure you're communicating well with like the coaching staff the other staff and then also you know with your team you end up I mean I certainly ended up being that liaison between people and then just, I suppose, understanding that different people need um, need different things. And some people you need to, like, you know, yell at, sort your crap out, you know, like, you know, you're better than this. And, and some people need that sort of support, you know, how can we help you achieve this? And, and just sort of knowing how to talk to people, which I'm terrible at, um, just sort of figuring that out as I went, I think that's, that's a big part of it. Um, being vocal and encouraging other people to be vocal, um, leading by example, which is easier said than done. <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, uh, there's no, as a captain, you know, some people are going to love you. Some people are going to feel there's maybe someone better out there. I think, it, you know, I've been in a position as well when captain teams and it's, it's all, it can be hard, but I think you hit kind of hit one of the nail on the head when it's, you know, about being good with people and, and you know, having good people skills and knowing how to motivate others and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's uh, good to hear. And um, you mentioned, obviously, uh, the, you know, the Women's League was created a couple of years ago. Have you noticed, um, you know, an increase in the number of women taking up the game since that time? Um. Not that I know of, but then I'm not necessarily in touch with sort of the the figures and the grassroots sports. Um, I'm definitely seeing more women 
applying to play in the women's premier league so the ones that perhaps before were like well i don't really know what this is is this above me is this something i'll never be able to achieve and now like oh okay they're making inquiries with coaches kind of come along and try and train with you guys in the hope of one day being able to play and i think it's really you know that league is bridging the gap between domestic uh, basketball and international basketball and sort of the more people that we can have sort of upskilled to that level um being around you know GB members being around coaches that know what they're talking about, um, it can only be a good thing for the sport. And uh, you mentioned that uh, in May uh, you took the decision to, uh, you know, retire from basketball. What led you to uh, making that decision? Um, All sorts. But I think sort of the short answer would be it was just the right time. Um, I felt like... I'd achieved pretty much everything I, I wanted to in basketball. And as much as I really enjoyed playing games, I always told myself that I'd rather go out on a high than keep trying to to get something that it wasn't going to happen. Um, I think at my grand old age of 38, um, <laughs> I, I don't recover as quick as you know some of the younger ones. And I pick up injuries a little bit easier. I've got arthritis in this elbow now and um and with a full-time job you know um it, it gets difficult you end up spending all of your free time just training and organizing the team and and I've got to that point where I, you know like I said I've been playing for 13 years it would be nice to have a social life <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um, well deserved after you know like you say it's such a long time you know uh making big commitments and sacrifices you know uh, for your sport I'm sure yeah um, do you think you could ever be tempted to return to the basketball court or is this, you know, is this you, this you think? Um, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm probably going to do a level one coaching course next month. Um, maybe keep my hand in at Worcester, but in terms of playing high level again, I, I don't think so, but playing for fun. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And so it sounds like coaching is something that, you know, you obviously must be slightly interested in to be, you know, doing your coaching course. Is that something you'd like to get more involved with in the future or are you just going to sort of see how it goes? Yeah, I, I always said I'll never coach. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then uh, Simon, our coach at Worcester, um, he decided to move on to something else this summer. So we're currently recruiting for a new coach. And I thought I'll just do the course on the off chance that they need someone to step in, help with summer sessions, that sort of thing. Um but who knows where that might lead in the future. With um, coaches in, in wheelchair basketball, so I'm visually impaired and I play a lot of visually impaired sports. So, uh, for example, you know, in blind cricket, um, you know, most of the coaches that sort of coach blind cricket have only really had experience of, uh, you know, coaching, you know, mainstream cricket mm -hmm. and haven't necessarily had much, um, you know, uh, dealings with, you know, people with vision impairment. So it's quite a big learning curve for them. You know, mm -hmm. they've obviously got a lot of knowledge on how to make someone better as a cricketer, but then it's understanding how people's sight affects them, how they have to yeah. adapt their game, things like that. So with coaches in wheelchair basketball, are there many people who uh you know have had experience of coaching in the sport um or is it very much a lot of coaches have you know coached again maybe mainstream basketball and, and getting involved with the game yeah so uh, from my understanding like the majority of wheelchair basketball coaches um have a disability themselves uh, an awful lot of them are retired players um i can only think of sort of a handful of able-bodied coaches who who just coach wheelchair basketball um and only a couple of them have actually come from the running game 
Um, Simon being one of them, he played the running game. Um, he refs the running game. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not even sure how, but he ended up working at British wheelchair basketball and got involved in, in the wheelchair game and, um, and now, you know, coaches that. So uh, I think, I think if you, if you have um, a coach with a disability, then there's already that understanding of, you know, how to use the chair and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, one of arguably the best coaches in the world is, is able-bodied and has never used a wheelchair. So, you know, anyone can learn, but yeah, I think most of ours are disabled. I always find it interesting how like uh, people from like different, uh, you know, with different conditions. So, you know, in the VR community, you know, sometimes we might call it like other sighted football or sorry, at NLC, you refer to the running game. So, you know, so just interesting how the, yeah, different, uh, you know, uh, people refer people, to it in different, it, different yeah, ways, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> um, who would you say is the best player you've played with and against in uh, your basketball career? Wow. Um you know, that's, it's difficult because you'll find that everyone obviously has their own role on court. Um, so, you know, your best player isn't the one that scores the most points or draws the most fouls or or anything like that. Um, so I, I guess the sort of few standout players, um, I'm going to say within GB women anyway, would be uh, Amy Conroy. Um, very, very talented person. I don't think she knows what she's doing half the time, but <laughs> she goes with it and she makes it work. Um, Joy Hazelden, um, midpoint player, just great all-round player. Um, and then I suppose on the international scene, you know, you can't help but mention uh, Mariska, um, probably the best female player in the world, um, plays for the Netherlands. Um, and she'll be actually be making an appearance in the, uh, our women's premier league next season oh wow i don't know and if that's I th i'm fairly sure that's been announced but let's go with it yeah <laughs> <laughs> cool um and who are currently the best you know sort of uh countries in the world in, within wheelchair basketball you know who going into the paralympics next year would be the sort of teams to look out for um so we've just had the world cup actually so i can cheat based on uh, what happened oh, there. <laughs> cool. uh, the dutch women won again back-to-back -back world cup uh, golds so congratulations to them um i think i believe china came in with silver uh who shouldn't be a surprise but because they don't take part in many other sort of friendly tournaments we never see them except for at um sort of the major events um i think usa and germany are probably on their way up um, as RGB at the moment, you know, there's a big refresh in terms of young talent. So give them a couple of years and I think they'll be doing pretty well. And um, for yourself as a player, I think you uh, mentioned that, you know, within the women's game, you played as a centre. But what was your sort of regular position, uh, you know, when you played for GB, for example, and what were your strengths and weaknesses as a player, do you think? Um, so, yeah, I, I always wanted to play as a centre. And I think I spent um, sort of the first half of my international career playing more as a forward, um, which I think was at the preference of the coach at the time, um, though it's probably not what I, what I would have picked. <laughs> um, so I definitely struggled in that position. And I think it was only really in the last couple of years with GDB and then with Worcester Wolves that I sort of discovered that, yeah, playing centre is, is where 
yeah, where I'm best suited. Um, you know, I am tall, um, probably one of the tallest, you know, playing in women's Premier League the last couple of years. Um, so in terms of getting rebounds and and scoring points in the paint, that was, um, yeah, that was where I, and then just lobbing the ball up the other end, I could do that. <laughs> um, wasn't the quickest, was never going to be the quickest with the ball. I'm so far away from my wheels, but um, but yeah, putting it in the hoop, that was generally what I tried to do. Cool. Um, so thank you. You've kind of taken us on a nice journey of your first, you know, big sport, I guess, in your sporting career. But uh, obviously within the last sort of couple of years, you've uh, obviously been involved with uh, another sport. So I just wondered if you can tell us, uh, you know, what that sport is and um, how you first got involved with it. Yeah. So I kind of decided that, um, you know, I was going to step down from basketball. It was time to wind things up, um, get back into the workplace. Um, but then it turns out I can't sit still. So, um, I saw on Facebook actually that, um, that some people were trying to put together a GB women's para ice hockey team. Um, because, uh, even at international level, um, para ice hockey or sledge hockey, as it's sometimes known, um, is a mixed sport. Um, but being a contact sport, women aren't often selected <laughs> at the elite level um, for obvious size and speed reasons. Um, so there was a drive to to get a women's team together um, <clears throat> to eventually, hopefully, get a world champs and a, and a Paralympic category. Um, and, uh, and yeah, there was a member of the Canadian women's team who was living over here in the UK uh, and is trying to put a a women's team together and it just said you know transferees from other sports if you're interested come and let us know um they were obviously looking for classifiable athletes um and uh i just thought oh you know what i've i've had experience of playing an international team uh maybe i could offer some i don't know expertise advice anything and just sort of got in contact with them and before you know it yeah we i'm playing <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so where was the uh, you know first session held and um you know how did you uh, find a sport you know what did you enjoy about it again that you know kept you going back um so we had a, a training camp um in Widnes up near Liverpool um so it was just a weekend um like completely non-funded sport so everyone's got a job um and the first time in a sledge, uh, it was kind of like Bambi trying to stand up for the first time. I spent a lot of time on my face, um, <laughs> sliding around the ice, not really knowing what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, yeah, the um, there's a lot of transferable skills from basketball to ice hockey in terms of, you know, spacing, um, being in the right position to receive the puck, you know, the ball, it's the same thing, communication, all of that, the, the speed, the tactics, it's all very similar. But the one thing that was completely new to me was moving around in a sledge. Um, and it was quite comical at the beginning, to be <laughs> fair. <laughs> and how did you find like the contact uh, sort of aspect of the game as well? Um, it took me a really long time to even start hitting people. Because basketball is a non-contact sport, you can put your chair in front of someone else's to to slow them down, but you can't hit them. 
So instinctively, I'm just like, oh, wow, you know, I can't, I can't hit this person. And then before you know it, you've just been squashed against the boards. And you're, yeah, I probably, I probably should have hit that person. <laughs> um, you learn your lesson. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it does, it does take a while, but I'm just about getting there now. Um, interestingly, I get less injuries with hockey than basketball because I'm covered head to toe in pads. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I don't like getting injured. It slows you down. Right. So, um, you know, I've got fairly good equipment and it just means, yeah, you can squash people and it doesn't really hurt. Yeah. Maybe I need to hit them harder. And <laughs> <laughs> um, can you um, just briefly describe the rules of the sport uh, for anyone listening who's not familiar with them? Yeah, I don't really know them. Uh, <laughs> I just keep going until the whistle goes. <laughs> um, yeah, we have five on the ice, like we do have five on the basketball court. Um, the difference is that we have a goalie uh, in ice hockey um who is has the biggest pads of everyone out there um unlike in basketball we have sort of either forward or defensive positioning so you try not to get in each other's way uh whereas in basketball you both you you know you play defense and offense equally um and yeah it's just a very simply a case of pushing yourself along in your sledge using one end of the sticks, which has the little sort of ice picks on. Um, get the puck, you switch your stick around to the other end to be able to hit it, uh, and get yourself up the other end and put the puck in the goal. <laughs> cool. Um, and now I, I think I'm right in thinking that you were part of a GB team that went out um, to compete in a tournament uh, last year, and it was, uh, I think, maybe the first women's sort of uh, sledge uh ice hockey event um and i think there was uh canada usa and like a world team competing as well so um where did that tournament take place and how was that experience oh you are very well informed sir yes <laughs> uh, um that was our first tournament as a sort of classifiable gb women's team there was a previous iteration that that didn't sort of uh progress um so this one was very exciting uh, the IPC sponsored sort of women's world challenge, which was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Um, and yeah, so we had the USA and Canadian teams are, are very well established. Um, they know what they're doing. Uh, they ran rings around us, <laughs> but they were um, very welcoming, very friendly, very supportive, um, except when they were playing each other. That was a bit violent. Uh, and then we had a sort of an all-star world team because we don't have any other countries at the moment that have a full women's program so this was just a case of trying to get people in in the hope that they would then go back to their own country uh, and try and progress um, a women's program back there um, we're lucky enough to have that again this year so um, that will be beginning of September I believe and um, obviously, I know you've retired from basketball now, but are you still playing hockey? And are you, you know, hoping to get into the team for the tournament in September? Uh, yeah, so we had tryouts a few weeks ago. So, um, you know, keep an eye on the social media for the uh, team announcement. That's pretty exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was in two minds uh, about carrying on. My goal was always try and get this women's program established just make sure it's up and running and then just kind of leave it to 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 people you know for people to sort of carry on um and the people that you know the athletes that we want in are the type of athletes that were like I was at the beginning of my basketball career so you know 
super keen, willing to train every day, willing to get up at 5.30 in the morning. I can't believe I ever did that. Um, <laughs> get up, train, put your all into it, take it seriously. I'm kind of more at the stage of my career now where I'm, oh, I'll train four times a week if I have to. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I think I'll do, I'll do one more season um, and then reassess and we'll see how it goes. And um, what position do you play in uh, ice hockey? Uh, so the the two tournaments that I've done with GB, I played as a forward. Um, and then in the league, I play for Peterborough, um, uh, Peterborough Phantoms. And the last two games I've actually played as a defenseman, um, which I actually quite enjoyed. So there might be a decision in my future as to um, what position I actually end up playing. I think I need to speak to some coaches. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I, you were saying earlier as well about obviously when you were new to the sport, it was kind of getting used to, you know, not being afraid to hit people and, and tackle things like that. So I should imagine playing as a defensive player, that that right, that's now more important. So I'm guessing you must now be a lot uh, happier to, you know, smash into people. <laughs> I certainly was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a strong game for me. Um uh, we went and played, uh, and that was, yeah, I, I suppose I felt a little bit more confident as a defenseman, and I'm quite happy to go out and push people over and shove them a little bit and <laughs> as much as you're allowed to do and uh, keep them away from a goalie. And I was just like, yeah, actually, I quite like this. You know, I, the, it took a little bit of pressure off of of trying to sort of set up, a, uh, you know, a good goal attempt, and it was just a case of, oh, someone's come down on my end. I'll go squash them. <laughs> um and I quite like that yeah really good so yeah I'm getting there I'm getting there and um in terms of the domestic league in the UK how many teams compete in that uh five so compared to basketball very different story you know with basketball we have like four divisions made up of dozens of teams um you know and then women's and then junior and then premier and then you know there's there's loads and and with hockey, like I first joined, and I'm like, okay, I've got to find somewhere close to my house, and and my nearest club is 101 miles away. <laughs> I'm just like, what? But such is the nature of disability sport, right? You're never going to find yeah. a club on your doorstep, um, or you're lucky if you are. Uh, so yeah, it was only five five clubs, and then for my very first game. Um, and you're competing against men that are part of the GB team. And you're like, this doesn't seem right that somehow. Um, but yeah, ice hockey is just not as popular in this country. Um, and I would love to do something to to draw people to it. And I think the creation of the GB women's programs definitely drawn more women to the sport. Um, and I, I just, yeah, I, I'd like to see that keep going so we can get more teams going. And uh, with the uh, domestic league, who's the uh, sort of uh, traditional, you know, powerhouse of the sport that you know dominates the league when she is? Um, I think that will be Cardiff. Um, Sheffield Steel Kings do a very good job as well. So those two are probably up there. Um, but it's it's pretty casual. Players move between clubs quite a lot. So just because you win one season doesn't mean you know, if you lose three players, gain a few others, people move around. Um, you could be playing with someone one year against them the next and then with them again. So it yeah, it's it's not always setting stone. 
And um, with uh, ice hockey, obviously, uh, you know, you have to have availability of an ice rink to be able to play it. Um, so in terms of the times of the games, you know, are you able to get on uh, ice rinks at a reasonable time or are you playing at like, you know, 10 o'clock at night? Yes, very astute. Um, games are pretty good. Uh, they're booked really early in advance. We can usually get an afternoon slot. Uh, training sessions, on the other hand, are something very different. Uh, Peterborough train on a Friday night between 11.15 and 12.15. Wow. So if I'm off the ice by about 12.30, I can probably expect to be in bed around 3 a.m. So I must admit that my attendance at training has not been great, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which makes me feel terribly guilty. But when you're, you know, working full time and, and you're trying to have a bit of a life and, you know, I've deliberately taken a step back from basketball for those reasons. Um, it's difficult to then convince yourself to go out on a Friday night for an hour's training. <laughs> okay. Let us and I think, you know, you touched on it earlier about obviously, you know, how far you travel uh, to train. And um, as you say, in disability sport, you have to be prepared. I mean, I, I played vision paired rugby and, um, you know, we have uh, one guy that comes over from Northern Ireland uh, every time we train. We've got guys that come down from Manchester, York, you know, and it all for, you know, a two hour training session. So, yeah. you know, I don't think people always realise how dedicated you have to be, I think, uh, you know, when you play a disability sport. Um, obviously, there are some sports, maybe, you know, like, say, wheelchair basketball and a few others that are, have grown and have been around longer but certainly for some of the newer sports it's uh yeah certainly a big uh big commitment to make um absolutely um yeah. we've obviously talked a lot about your sporting career um what do you do for work outside of sport and um what are your hobbies outside of sport um so work uh i work for the police doing a bit of an admin role um but it keeps me busy keeps me entertained i work with a good bunch of people um outside of that just trying to keep up with friends and family I guess you know this is all quite new to me because for the last 13 years my life has just been basketball (laughs) and now I've actually got free time um I'm going away for the weekend this weekend just with a big bunch of mates um to center parks gonna be a good fun um Oh, my brother's had his first child, so I'm trying to be a little bit more involved in their life. Um, just, yeah, uh, keep it. I don't know. My time just seems to go like between, <laughs> uh, you know, working out and um, sort of arranging things for hockey because you know everything's done on a voluntary basis. So players chip in with helping, and um, you know, at some point, I want to start sort of doing normal things again. You know, going to the cinema. Or going out for dinner, going to concerts. I don't know what what people do. <laughs> Read books. Um, I'm gonna have to ask. What do normal people do? I don't know. <laughs> there's no such thing as a normal person, so I'm not sure there's well, a right answer for that. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, it sounds like you're, um, you know, sort of enjoying, obviously, having a bit more uh, freedom now and and time to sort of do things with, you know, your, your friends and family. But also, it sounds like you're still adjusting and, you know, getting used to to having the time. Uh, so, um... <laughs> yeah, for sure, definitely, it's it does take a long time. I think, um, you know, it was just as well that I carried on playing women's Premier League after I left GB because I think if I'd stopped, I would have been lost as to what to do with my days or, you know how to train or do anything you know and and I had that little grace period between leaving GB basketball 
um, before I started work full time. And it, and it really gave me that period for adjustment. And I think like retiring full time athletes, there's still not quite the level of support there that's needed. Um, so, yeah, I think I had it quite lucky. But yeah, me, I'm so stuck in my routine that it, it took a long time to adjust. <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant well listen Sarah it's been an absolute pleasure uh, chatting to you thank you very much for uh, you know coming on the podcast and sharing your story um, you know I think you had a sporting career that you should be very proud of and obviously it's uh, still not over yet you know um, you've yeah, achieved some sure. amazing things in basketball and uh, you know uh, sounds like it's an amazing uh, project to be involved with the with the ice hockey taking off as well so I hope that goes really well and good luck for making the team in September you know please uh, keep us updated with how the tournament goes um, and uh, you know it's been a great chatting to you you've been very open and honest about your highs and lows of your career and um yeah it's been a real pleasure so thank you very much oh thank you very much and uh, and if you don't mind me just adding i'd like to thank my sponsor uh tuby life who's doing um, a fantastic job of helping uh, me achieve my my hockey dreams of, of getting that women's team up and running i hope you enjoyed that interview with sarah the next episode of the podcast will be out in two weeks' time when I'll be speaking to Great Britain's most successful botcher player, David Smith. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Disability SP. And as always, thank you very much for listening.